Hello, Pioneering Today podcast listeners. So on today's episode, which is number 68, we are going to be talking about six things, and actually it's going to be seven, that our great-grandparents did better than us. So you are listening to the Pioneering Today podcast where I'm with me, Melissa K. Norris, where I inspire your faith and your pioneer roots. So I just have to tell you guys that I am fighting a bit of a cold. So I have my lovely hot cup of tea here uh, that has echinacea and licorice root and all kinds of wonderful things brewing in it. So I will do my very, very best not to cough in your ears, but just be forewarned. So in today's episode, what I want to talk about is as advanced and modern as we would like to think that we are in society, I feel that in a lot of ways, or some ways, that we're kind of worse off than our great-grandparents are. We may have more technology, and I'm not saying that I'm not grateful for that. Obviously, this is a podcast, and I have a website which uses a lot of technology and the internet, so I am grateful for some of it. But Sadly, I feel like we're turning into a generation of people who lack skill sets and a sense of pride in their work. And I know that this is not true of everyone. In fact, I'm willing to bet if you are reading or listening to this, then it does not apply to you. But I, I say that in a generalization to for a lot of societies. So, of course, there is always exceptions to the rule. And my awesome listeners and readers are ex- exceptions to those for sure. We're entrenched in a world of hurry up, keeping up with the newest, newest and greatest thing. Looking for that one thing that's going to give us an edge. We have to-do lists a mile long. And we multitask like we're an octopus with eight arms. Sometimes I wish I had eight arms to get stuff done, let me tell you. And I'm not judging because I am so guilty of all of these things in one form or another. So do not think that I am saying I'm exempt for in any way or form. And if you're honest with yourself, I'm willing to lay money down that you are too, to one degree or another. There's a lot of things that we have going on for us today. But there's a few areas where I feel that we really need to take a look and reconsider going back to how our great-grandparents or grandparents, depending upon your age, and learning from them. So my, the number one thing that our great-grandparents did was, number one, is to use local. So while there is nothing more local than growing it yourself, hello, backyard grocery shopping, I love you. In fact, we have just foraged another batch of chanterelle mushrooms, which I love. My spaghetti squash is coming on strong, so bringing that on our covered back porch, and it is actually lining a trunk that I have in my living room, because spaghetti squash is actually one of the longest storing squashes. Um, we don't have a garage or a root cellar, so I have to store all of my winter squash in the house, and the spaghetti squash far outlasts the other squash as far as longevity and storing. So I do love growing it myself and storing it. That is awesome. But the next best thing is buying it from someone you know. So during like the Great Depression years and before, if you weren't raising it yourself, then most likely you knew the person that you were buying it from. It wasn't this huge corporation. My grandparents and my father, who were during the um, Great Depression era, when my dad was growing up, they did have their own milk cow. But for those who didn't, right up, well, I shouldn't say right up the road, because they actually lived back off of the the main road, and you still have to cross a creek down this dirt road to get to the house that my dad grew up in, and we call it the homestead. So on the road that I live on now, which is about a mile and a half from there, 
there was a dairy and there was a local milkman and he delivered your milk by wagon. So you could go to the dairy, you could see the cows, you knew the man providing your milk, literally. If you needed lumber, you went and put your order in at the local sawmill. You know, you didn't go down to Lowe's or Home Depot. And I'm not knocking any of these places. Please don't take that. But you would go to the local sawmill and you saw the log, told the sawyer what you wanted, and you'd come and pick it back up from him when it was done. And we are still fortunate enough to buy our milk locally. It comes in a glass bottle, and I return the bottle to the store when I purchase more. And then we actually had a friend of ours has um, goats, and we just got a gallon of raw goat's milk from her. And so we drank it for a couple days, and then I'm going to be turning that into yogurt and homemade goat sheets, which I'm super excited about. I have never worked with goat's milk before. We don't have our own dairy goats. So I cannot wait to play around with that. And I have a feeling, we'll see if this turns out to be a correct prophecy, (laughs) that we may end up with dairy goats. We'll see. So back in the day and things that our great-grandparents did, a store-bought outfit was a big deal, you guys. Most people wore home sewing clothes. And a lot of times they were made from the flour sacks when times were lean and you couldn't even afford material. Or when, say, your dad or grandpa's shirt couldn't be mended anymore or mother's dress was too frayed, it was cut down into a smaller dress or shirt for the youngest member of the family using the very best of the fabric that was left from the garment. Not enough material left for clothing on the piece, then it went into the rag bag and it was to be made into a quilt or a rag rug for the floor. And you learned how to sew. Seams were made to last and buttons were sewn on tight and they were reused. A button box was something almost every house had. And they were prized items not to be thrown out when you no longer liked the clothes or outgrew them. So you would snip the buttons off and you would put them in the box to use later. And so button boxes were great things. You could string the buttons together to make little bracelets and just do different projects worth. And buttons were not something that you just tossed out with the fabric, so to speak. And when I was growing up, my mom sewed a lot of my clothes. And I have to tell you at the time, I wasn't necessarily as grateful as I should have been because I wanted to be like all the other kids and have store-bought clothes and specific brand names. But now I really appreciate and understand what she was doing And I am much more grateful now than I was as a child for that. So the second thing that our great-grandparents had going for them was skill sets. So our great-grandparents had skill sets and they knew how to use them. They didn't rely on stores and huge chains for their needs and their goods. They learned how to do things themselves. They were the original do-it-yourselfers. And a lot of times, their lives depended upon it. Their work became their art form. My father always told me, if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing well. Give anything or everything. You do your best. As you can imagine, I was kind of being a grump about having to help him fix fence. By the time um, I came up, all of my older siblings, I come from, there's 10 of us kids, but my seven older siblings are half siblings. And so by the time I was growing up, they were all left and out of the house. So I was helping my dad fix fence and I had not been doing such a hot job of holding the wire tight while he mended it, hence the lecture. (laughs) But as an adult, I see the wisdom in his words and I remember then when I'm doing something I'd really rather not be doing 
And I might have had this little pep talk with myself while scrubbing a pan or two out before. Maybe. And this kind of brings me, which we did talk about a little bit earlier, the third one is sewing. So they made their own clothes and they knew how to mend them. I realize there are still quite a few folks who do know how to sew, but it's not being taught at home or in the schools like it used to. It used to be that everybody would take home ec or some kind of that kind of home economics class and you would learn homemaking skills and sewing was one of those. So if you look in your closet or in your children's closet, how many items are handmade? How many times do you throw out a piece of clothing because it gets ripped instead of mending it? You might not become a full-on seamstress, but we need to learn the basics. And I am not a full-on seamstress. I have a sewing machine. I've made my own curtains. I've made my own pillows. I did make my daughter a dress. I did have to have my mother come and help me when it came to putting in the zipper for sure. So I am, like I said, I am not a full-on seamstress. In fact, I'm more comfortable sewing by hand. I think that's because how I learned when I was little was to sew and quilt by hand. And I do not get my sewing machine out as often as I should, just because every time I get it out, I have to read the manual because I don't use it often enough to remember how to do it. So I'm much more comfortable sewing by hand than I am by using the sewing machine, but I would like to become more familiar with the sewing machine because you can do things obviously a lot faster and more efficient with it. But learning some basic sewing skills, everybody should have. They really go a long way. So learn how to mend a seam. If it gets, you know, if it gets ripped on the seam, mending a seam is probably the easiest mending job that there is. How to gather fabric how to hem. These are basic skills that will let you do a lot more than you think when it comes to mending or even altering clothes. You know, you lose weight or there's something at the store, especially this falls into thrift store shopping. You'll try something on, the fabric is great, you know, the lines of it are great and it maybe just doesn't fit you quite right in a couple spots. If you can learn how to gather or take in something or even hem it if it's too long, you will be able to alter clothes and save yourself a lot of money. So, If you don't know how to sew at all, if you don't have any basic skill sets, find somebody who does sew because there are still people out there. You know, ask at church, ask online on Facebook and ask them for a lesson. Most people are happy to teach someone a skill they have because most of us who consider that we're fairly good at something, we're kind of proud of that skill. And I don't mean that proud in a bad way. And we want to show other people how to do that. We take enjoyment from that. And we want to give other people that enjoyment when they learn how to do it. So most folks are quite happy if you really want to learn to teach you how to do something. My mother taught me how to stitch a sampler when I was really little. And my grandmother and my mom were both making a quilt top when I was eight. And I wanted to be like them. My grandma was a quilter. It's my dad's mom. And she lived in a log cabin right up the road from us. And she had one of the large quilt frames that actually hung from the ceiling. So she had hooks in her ceiling and you would hang the quilt frame from them and it would take up the whole living room. She would push the furniture back and then you would put the quilt in the frame and quilt it. So my mom was working on a quilt top and my grandma was and I wanted to be just like them. So a family friend took me to buy fabric, such a generous gift because fabric is not that cheap anymore, you guys. But she took me to buy fabric and she let me pick out whatever I wanted. So if the colors did or didn't match, if I wanted it, she did not say, oh no, that doesn't look good together. You know, she let me be as creative as I wanted to be in picking out the fabric. And I still have some of that fabric to this day that I have saved and use in different projects. So it was an awesome gift. 
And when I got home with my fabric, my mom sat me down and she showed me how to stitch the pieces together by hand. And over time, my stitches became much more uniform and neat until you can barely see them when it's turned right side out and up. And I still use that exact same stitch to mend seams on our clothes, blankets, and pillows today. Fourth thing that our great-grandparents did well was cooking and baking from scratch. There weren't store-bought versions of everything. You stocked a full larder. And if you are new to that, we I have some awesome articles for you. One is eight foods that everyone should be storing and how. And the second is six tips on buying food in bulk. So you were grateful to have food to put on the table and you didn't complain that it wasn't what you wanted. How many times, okay, and I have to raise my hand here a little bit guiltily. Have you been like, well, I don't want that. That's not what I want. Oh no, that just doesn't sound good tonight. I'm not in the mood for that. Or your kids or your spouses said it back to you about food. And back in the day, especially during the Great Depression years, which my dad still talks about and really shaped um, my grandmother and the way that they grew up. And if you've listened, if you've been a listener of the podcast for a while, you know I have talked about that and we have um, that in past episodes, which um, reminds me I want to do a little bit of housekeeping real quick before we get in here. So if you are a new listener, welcome. So happy to have you. And this is episode number 68. So it's full transcript. So you can go to the website, melissakaynorris.com, click on the podcast button. It's up on the um, mid to right hand side of the menu. And all of the podcast episodes are listed by number and title. So you can click on that and then you'll go to a full on blog post that has the show notes so you can read it, share it. And then it has all of the links to every and anything that I'm talking about, all of the resources in there. So I highly recommend that you go and grab that. So you were grateful for the food that you had to put on the table and you swapped recipes with your neighbor or at church potlucks. Anyone else love potlucks? I tell you what, I swear we have some of the best cooks ever in our church and I love going to potlucks and getting to try something new and everybody's so generous and swapping out the recipes for it. So I'm like, oh my goodness, I've got to make that. I've got some of my favorite dishes, some of my favorite recipes from church potlucks. So just love them. And you handed down your most favorite and best dishes to your children as they were right there with you learning and helping to put the meal on the table. Because when you're cooking from scratch, you're not just opening a box. You know, you're actually teaching them the steps on how to do it. And so I love that. Cooking and baking from scratch are a huge part of our life and part of a legacy that my mom handed down to us. And if you're looking for from scratch versions without any processed ingredients, you're going to want to check out our full on recipe section to get you started. And that is right on the website as well. Up at the top, you can click on recipes and all of the recipes that we have on there is um, listed and you'll grab those. Or you can check out my book, which I'm very excited and you're going to be hearing more about. And it's available for pre-order. So it's called The Made From Scratch Life, Simple Ways to Create a Natural Home. And the cover is up, you guys. Um, My publisher emailed me the cover last weekend, actually. So I about killed my battery because I was at my son's football game. And I downloaded it to my phone. And anybody who walked by me got to see my cover whether they wanted to or not because I was so super excited about it and it the cover just went up yesterday onto Amazon so I have a link to that you can check it out and I'm really excited I'm maybe a tad bit biased but I happen to think it is a beautiful cover and I've got lots of stories and tips obviously and recipes for from scratch versions of things so like I said no processed ingredients allowed 
And speaking of cooking from scratch, who is up for a seven day, I actually think we're going to make it 14 days, eat from your food storage or pantry challenge. So right now I am actually doing a 31 day challenge with Ruth. If you might have heard, remember Ruth, she was back with a podcast on us last January and she has a website called Living Well Spending Less. And she is doing a 31 day challenge and it's called Living Well Spending Zero. So you can go and check that out. I will link to that in the show notes and you can sign up for it. It actually started October 1st, but it is not too late to get started with it, I promise. And what you do, what it is, is so essentially you're still going to pay your regular bills and she goes into full detail on it. And you'll have certain things that you still um, can purchase. Obviously, you're going to be buying gas to go to work and paying your bills, but it's to not do any extra spending. And they really encourage eating from your food storage or your pantry because they're um, not um, everybody who's doing isn't um, so much full on homesteaders like you and I. But I wanted to do a full on food storage challenge because we really do need to be storing, um, have a food storage. I firmly believe in having a large pantry. But sometimes you have stuff in your pantry or in your food storage and you haven't really used it. And so you're not really sure what to make with it or how to prepare it or how to cook it. And so that's where, plus, we have a really, um, a pretty decent food storage. And so what I want to see and what a challenge like this will really show you is if you're eating just from your food storage and you're not allowed to go to the store, and some people are making allowances that you're allowed to go and get fresh milk and some different things like that. Um, Some people are putting on their list to buy milk and fresh produce and bread. And y'all know me, we make our own bread, which have lots of different variations. And so I would much rather stock items that allow me to make a ton of different things than stocking the pre-store made processed version just because it's way more frugal and it just allows you so much more freedom and it's healthier because you're, you know, getting rid of so many processed stuff that's in that. So I would love to have you join me for 14 days. We're going to start on Monday and it's kind of going along with the um, spending no spend challenge that Ruth is doing. And I am just really excited. So we can give each other tips. You can ask, can be like, oh my goodness, I do not know what to make. I have this and this and this item. How do I make this into a meal? Or just to get inspiration for some different recipes and how to do things. And like I said, it's really going to open our eyes and my eyes too on maybe where there's some holes in my food storage. I might realize after not being able to buy anything from the store for 14 days, like, oh, you know what? I really hadn't thought that I would need such and such item, or I really need to figure out a replacement for this. So I would love to to have you come with me. There is a sign up um, link so you can sign up and get emails with all of that and some hashtags so we can help each other out on social media with ideas um, on today's transcript for the show. So make sure you grab that. And I'm really excited. Have have you ever heard of Periscope? So Periscope is an app that you get on your smartphone and it's linked to Twitter. And I really thought I do not need one more social media thing. Like, no way, no how. Have plenty. But Periscope has been really cool. So what it is, is you can go to periscopetv.com, I believe it is, or periscope.tv.com. Google Periscope, it'll take you there. And you download the free app onto your phone, and then you can follow people. So mine is um, the at sign Melissa K. Norris to follow me. And then anytime, so you do live video training. It is so cool, you guys. So I have been following some people that I follow online and I've been catching their live shows every day and it's just awesome. So it's really short. 
and simple. I mean, you can make them long, but usually they're just like 10 minutes. And you, whoever's following you and jumps on when you're doing a live scope or the periscope. So I will be doing video. You'll see what I'm doing. You'll hear me. And you get to answer me, ask questions and talk with each other right then in their lives. So you can ask me a question and can answer you live and in person. And I've really been um, watching some other people and following them and really learning it. I'm like, you know what? This is really cool. So if I'm out seed saving, I can just do a, a do a periscope and actually just show you right there in lifetime how I'm seed saving that or like a canning tip that I'm doing or just anything. It's really cool. Um, and I'm actually really quite excited about it. So it does have to be um, on your smartphone. There's no way to watch it on a desktop that I know of. But the cool thing is, is if you can't catch it live and it sends out, which I actually really love, it's like this little whistle thing and I will not try to imitate it because I cannot whistle. But um, it does this whistle thing and then you'll see and it says someone's doing a live scope and it'll tell you who it is and what the subject's about and then you can choose to watch it live or not depending on if you can watch it live at the time or if you're at work. And then the recording of the live thing is up for 24 hours only. So for 24 hours, you can go back and watch the replay. So it's just really cool and I would love to have you join me and I plan on periscoping my way through the 14-day challenge to give you tips and menu ideas and that kind of thing. So I would love to have you join me. So I know that was kind of long-winded and I took a lot of time covering the cooking and um, making it from scratch. So number five is self-sufficiency. And actually it's kind of number six because the the challenge, the food storage challenge was kind of my bonus um, item in there. So that was number five. Now we're on to number six, which is self-sufficiency. So even though we here raise a lot of our own meat and a good portion of our own vegetables, in our day-to-day life here on our homestead, we're still pretty dependent on a lot of modern conveniences brought to us by large companies or entities. And I mean, let's face it, like I said, I bring you this podcast to my website via the internet, but I'm okay with that because I know if I have to, that we have the skills and the means to make it on our own. So because I know we have those skills and we do practice them, I'm okay with the use of technology and modern conveniences um, within reason in our everyday life. So we save our own heirloom heirloom garden seed. We have fruit trees and plants and bushes. I preserve and put up a lot of our own food. We forage, um, hunting, and I have quite a bit of our grandparents' old-fashioned knowledge. And for those of you that just went through my 30-day preparedness challenge with me, you do too. And if you didn't get a chance to go through that, no worries. Make sure you get signed up on my email list because I'm going to run it again in January, but not until January. So in the meantime, you can get my free ultimate home food preservation guide. And then when you sign up to grab that, which you get instant access to, you'll go on my email list, which means you'll just get um, an email once a week on Fridays usually that give you new links and what's going on and the new articles. So make sure that you get signed up on that so you can do the 30 days of preparedness challenge when that comes back around. And number seven, and this may be my most favorite actually of things that are great grandparents did better than us is helping one another. There was a reason that our great grandparents had barn raisings and roofing parties and quilting parties. They knew how important it was to help out a neighbor because when they needed help, that's who they'd be calling on. Communities banded together to help those who ran into misfortune. Needed a cup of sugar, you ran over to your neighbor's house to borrow it, and you knew that they'd do the same for you. And actually, a neighbor came over and borrowed cumin from me when she was making relish, and I ran out of dill, so I went to another neighbor's who had extra this past summer in her garden, 
We were all doing a bit of summer preserving and what one didn't have, the other did. And I love that about my neighborhood. And I hope that you can experience that where you live as well. There's many ways of helping someone too. Sometimes it's simply being a friend or watching out for their place when they're gone. It's not always a tangible good. In an emergency, your neighbor very well might be the person that saves your life. And so I think it's really important to just establish those bonds. You don't have to be best friends with every one of your neighbors, but just to be a good neighbor in principle. And it's one of the reasons that I was so excited to do the 30-Day Preparedness Challenge with you guys. I feel that we've really been a true community of helping each other out with the tips and the suggestions in the comment section. And you guys do that on, and I love it when you come and do that on the podcast episodes as well and just the regular blog post. I'm really honored to be a part of your journey and I consider us an online neighborhood. So I really thank you for that. And on the podcast, I always like to wrap it up with a verse of the week. Um, I think that that's the part of inspiring your faith along with your pioneer roots. And so today I wanted to share, it's a verse out of Luke chapter 12. And it is verse, let's see here, what verse am I in? Um, Six and seven. And it says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And it, you know, sometimes in the scope of this big, huge world and everything that's going on, and sometimes God seems far away, but each and every one of us, he knows us so intimately that he knows the hairs, the number of hairs on our head. And I think that that's pretty awesome because that just goes to show us right there in those verses that that we have a God and a Savior in Jesus who wants to know us intimately as a friend. You know, he really wants to be a part of our everyday lives. If he knows the exact number of hairs on our head, he cares about us so much, each and individually, and he wants to have a relationship with us. And I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty amazing when I really sit and think about that, that he wants to know me. I mean, he is this holy and awesome God who does all of this stuff, and he wants to know and cares about me and you. And that's pretty amazing. So I hope that that gives you a little bit of encouragement today. And thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And I can't wait to catch you on Periscope and as part of the 14 day challenge. So make sure you pop over to the show notes. This is um, podcast episode number 68. And I will see you then.